to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. And welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris, and we have a fantastic radio show for you today. First of all, I want to further congratulate all of our great coaching students for having a fantastic weekend over last weekend, making the most of what we called expired palooza. And obviously, expired palooza was us celebrating the opportunity that happens at the end of the month in the beginning of the following month. In other words, the last day, first day uh, scenario, and that's typically when most expireds pop up. Now, if you missed expired Palooza, it's not too late for you, because run your expireds when searching in your market, go back 30 days, and you'll, still be, you'll see that there's still tons of opportunity to do a relist of uh, ex- houses that did expire. And... Um, every day really is expired Palooza, depending on your market. But the bottom line is expired listings always will be one of the best sources of listings for you. Because why? You already know that they have a house to sell. You know they're willing to hire an agent. And you know they're willing to pay a commission. So your job is to obviously convince them to work for you. Or I'm sorry, hire you. And that's what we teach you how to do. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Expired Palooza, great stories. Now, one of the questions that comes um, as a result of a lot of you listing a lot of houses is, Tim, what is the difference between, you know, a really great listing and just a so-so listing? So some of you have um, ran into situations where you are knowing that you have a seller, you have a listing, you've got the contract signed, but you're just not able for some reason, you're getting this feeling that the seller's not as motivated as you'd like for them to be. So what we're going to be doing today, and I'm about to hand the show over to my lovely wife, Julie, who's, by the way, listeners, her birthday, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 12, is next Thursday. Yeah, so, yours is on let's... Monday, so I'm not the only oh. one. Uh-huh. That's right. Julie and I have our, about and I have our birthday. About yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So we both have birthdays next week, just letting you know. Um, anyway, and if you want to send gifts, we appreciate things from Italy, like Ferraris, or... Um, you know, use of your jet, anything like that. No, but seriously, uh, yes, birthday next week. That's fun. In the meantime, help us help you get uh, really focused on how to really take listings. And it's one thing to take listings. It's another thing altogether to take a listing from a seller that doesn't have to sell. If you've ever had a listing before, know of agents who complain about sellers and have had a frustratingly uh, bad experience it's almost always because the seller is a want-to-sell seller and not a have-to-sell seller. So what we're going to do on today's radio show, again, and I'm about to hand this over to our soon-to-be birthday girl, Julie Harris, and she's going to tell you the difference between a want-to and a have-to. You get this, you understand this, and it will save you a lot of frustration through your real estate career. Jules? Okay, perfect. So again, topic today, what is the difference between a want-to-sell seller and a have-to-sell seller, and why do you care? What difference does it make? If they say they want to sell, why don't you just bring your sign over, pray to the real estate gods, and hopefully close? Well, that would make you an ordinary average agent who lives from deal to deal. So we're not going to let any of you suffer that fate. In order to be a top producing agent, which is to us somebody who has set specific goals and is meeting or exceeding them in a systematic way, which means you've figured out how many listings you need to drive your business, well, that's probably more for you than 
you know, going deal to deal. So once we've come to terms with that, then what's this want to sell versus have to sell business? Well, when, when we do this at a live event, typically I'll have you guys write down the relationship between difficult sellers and being overpriced. Usually the least motivated, so if you write an arrow on your page going down, a down arrow, and you label that least motivated, and next to that you write an up arrow, price, your less motivated is almost always overpriced. And if you were to guess of all of your sellers, and some of you guys you don't have to guess, you know this for a fact, who are the most difficult ones to deal with? People who have to sell, people who only want to sell. So think back to your most difficult transactions, and almost all of you will identify someone who really, for being honest, they were just dabbling. Now, how do you know the difference? Okay, so let's go through who has to sell, has to sell, not just wants to sell. So let's kind of go back and forth with our list, Tim. People who have to sell, I'm going to start with distressed people because you know our criteria is it's not really up to them anymore. So someone who can no longer afford their house payment, whether that means they've actually missed payments or not, at some level they have determined and come to terms with the fact they are no longer willing or able to make their house payment. So that's a have-to-sell seller. In other words, keeping the house is not an option. So who else, Tim? Who's on our have-to-sell list? Well, so again, guys, keeping in mind that there is a difference between a have-to and a want-to, another have-to-sell seller is someone who has relocating Someone who has to sell because they cannot. Now, relocating doesn't always equal have to sell, but most times it does. So they're relocating and they cannot afford to own two homes at once. Another great have to sell, you know, it's a sad situation, but might be somebody passing away. It's an inherited property. Maybe they're out of state. Uh, it's part of a trust. Or an, yeah. Keeping it is not an op- option, okay? Um, they're getting, uh, there's a divorce, right? So there's another situation. Now, remember, with divorces, Coaching clients, future coaching clients, listen, make sure when you're dealing with a divorce situation, you ask if the divorce decree has been issued. The divorce decree is the thing that's issued by the court that essentially says how the marital assets will be divided. So no divorce decree being issued usually means that the house will not get listed. So keep that in mind. Um, Julie mentioned financial duress. That's another thing you're going to see even in this recovering market. In many markets, there's still a lot of folks that cannot afford the house or even in historically fantastic markets, like all of our great clients down in Houston where they're starting to have layoffs because of what's happening with oil prices. Oil prices going down, fewer employees needed at the refineries and all the other subsidiary businesses, you're going to have a lot of folks that are in situations where they have to sell, can't get other jobs, um, and can't afford to make their house payments anymore. When that happens, even if they have equity, especially if they have equity, that's a fantastically motivated seller for you. Uh, next one might be a situation where there's a um, tax problem. Maybe there's a property tax issue that they can't pay or some other sort of extraneous outside force that's putting pressure on them to sell. There's lots and lots of reasons, but there's, you know, those are probably the best ones. And if, if you really want to drill down on this, for those of you who have been in the business for a while, think about the last five listings that you've sold. And, and it, there are exceptions to the have-to versus want-to rule. One of them being uh, wealthy markets, rich people. They don't ever have a have to because there's nothing financially bad that's going to happen if they don't sell the house. They can just keep it. They can just rent it out. There's, you know, there it is. So the have tos, um, you know, they're still motivated sellers in the upper end, obviously. But as far as them being true have tos, it starts to get a little opaque 
the more expensive the house is. Lesser down price ranges where the people don't have uh, the financial reserves to be able to afford owning two homes or keeping a house vacant or whatnot or paying the negative equity on, uh, say, for example, if they're renting it and the mortgage payment is more than the rent, you know, some people can just afford to cover the difference. No, no big deal. For the rest of the country, 99% of the country, you're looking at folks that definitely have to sell. So look back at the last five transactions, sellers that you helped. Maybe you haven't had five listings recently, but you know the motivation of the houses that you sold to your buyers, those sellers that were listing with other agents. Why did those sellers list? Chances are they had to. Very rarely, um, for 99% of the listings out there, are you going to find somebody that just wants to sell and is successful selling it. It just rarely happens. Because why? The reasons that Julie just said. They're overpriced. They're not motivated to lower the price. They're not motivated to show the house in the first place. They're not motivated to improve the condition. They're not motivated, period, which means that they're not going to be selling the house because of the fact that they're overpriced, their condition is something a challenge, whatever. Those are the types of things. Now, the want-to seller, Julie? Yes. That's right. And even if you haven't been a big listing agent, you can relate to this from a buyer agent standpoint. Your most difficult deals to negotiate with a listing agent are when that listing agent is dealing with someone who really doesn't have to sell. That's when you get a response back from your counteroffer where they say, well, you know, if you don't come up, they'll just keep the house. Well, that's a harder negotiation, isn't it? So even buyer's agents can relate to that have-to-sell seller versus the want-to-sell. Now, how do you know if you've got a want-to-sell seller on your hands? Well, they're fairly obvious because they have interesting self-created scripts like, well, I'll move if you find me the right house. That's pretty nebulous. Maybe they'll say, I love this one, if I can get my price. Okay, so that's a big red flag. And sure, send me some emails with the houses in there. If I find something I like, well, maybe I'd move, that type of thing. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That kind of commentary, right? So typically, those are the same people that if you get them to list with you, they're going to be overpriced, and then they're going to wonder what you've done for them lately and make it your fault that it didn't sell. So how do you know which type of homeowner you've got? you got to be willing to pre-qualify them. You have to ask more questions than the average ordinary agent typically asks. And this spending more time in the beginning before you go there to present, ideally before you even send your pre-listing package, spending more time up front will save you time, hassle, and energy and stress by escaping you from having to deal with people who really don't have to sell, who are going to overprice it and then make it your fault for not selling, and ultimately not close, so you've just basically spent a whole lot of time doing nothing. Well, Julie, so, let's jump. Let me jump in here. Out? Just yeah, go ahead. Okay, so how do you find out, right? So existing coaching clients, and we're not going to be able to have time to get on in this coaching call. The seller prequalification script is on Real Estate Coaching Essentials. You absolutely, positively have to be using it. It's a series of questions that were written in a specific order to essentially root out whether they're have tos and want or want tos. Again, valuable information to have prior to going on a listing appointment because you really do then know what their situation is. And Maybe in some cases, guys, you're going to determine that you really don't want to chase the seller if they're overpriced and unmotivated. And if you know the problem, the house has other problems, maybe you just say, you know what, this isn't worth my time. You are able and should be business and professional uh, enough to realize that 
you can say no. And so if you determine, now don't use this as your excuse to overqualify, that's a whole different thing. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what some agents will do. Oh, I'm going to start overqualifying all my sellers, and I found one little thing that's objectionable, and they're not a perfect have-to. Um, you know, perfect have-tos are great, but sometimes there's, there's gray areas where there's sort of perfect have-tos. Um, you know, you get into this price range where people will say, well, you know what, if I can't sell it for my price, I'll just rent but there's still strong enough motivation, maybe they're moving out of the country or whatever, I would still take that listing, honestly, because at the end of the day, unless they're a seasoned landlord, unless they have other rental properties, they don't really want to be a landlord. They don't, you know, they want to sell the property. So I would still pursue that one if there's a strong enough motivation on the other side. Now, here's an interesting thing. Julie, can we pivot and ask them the question about, sure. give me an example of a, okay. All right, so here's the second part to all of this. Again, this is going back to the very heart of our coaching program, why we want you guys to focus on sellers uh, primarily and maybe only, because the next question is really going to allow you to kind of see through the grass as far as uh, why um, buyers ultimately are never going to be as uh, good in terms of lead quality as a seller. So we're really clear the difference between a have-to and a want-to seller, right? The have-to-sell sellers are the ones that are relocating, have a divorce, a bankruptcy, a financial issue. There's something, as Julie says, that's outside of their situation that's forcing them to sell. Something is dictating that they have to sell. Life circumstance changes. You guys get the point. The want-to-sell sellers are the ones that are, you know, maybe to be largely avoided. If I can get my price, if I can, you know, pigs fly, basically. Those are the want-to-sell sellers. Now, Here's a question for all of you, very smart agents out there listening to us. What is, can you give me a single example of a buyer that has to buy? Okay, really, I want you to do this right now. Take this seriously. I know a lot of you listen to us in your car. You listen to us at office meetings. You listen to us while you're exercising. Um, you know, you listen to us in the background while you're lead generating. Take a second, and I want you to take your coach's challenge here and answer the question. Agents of America, you know, 100,000 of you listening, give me an example of a buyer that has to buy. Go ahead. Give it your best shot. Well, what about a relocating executive? I mean, they're homeless, aren't they? They've sold their house where they're coming from. Oh, that's a good one, Julie. Ooh, oh, sorry. They could always rent. Next. Oh, oh, (laughs) got me. Uh, let's see, I, uh, somebody whose lease has just ended and their landlord is going to sell the house they were renting. They could always rent another house. Next. Uh, foiled again. Hmm. Okay. A downsizing couple. I, I hear that oh, sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah, they're downsizing. They've owned a house all their adult lives and no, they could always rent. Well, they're upsizing. Their house sold quicker than they thought and that's going to force them to want to buy something else. Nope. They could always rent. They're moved. They're an executive. It's a family of four, and they're you know the guy's the CEO of a new company, kind of like the first example I gave you. Nope, they could always rent. Or executive housing. Sometimes companies have that. But go ahead. Right. Exactly. Well, so guys, here's the ultimate challenge with working with buyers. There is no such thing as a buyer that has to buy. Oh, some of you are thinking. You think you're clever. You're going to throw at me the 1031. The guy's selling, and he has to buy something else to to uh, essentially avoid the taxes on the gain. No, he doesn't have to. He can always pay the taxes and pocket the difference. So there is no such thing and never will be an example of a buyer that has to buy. It's always a choice. It's always always voluntary versus actual, clearly defined, motivated sellers. Do you understand now why we want you primarily focusing all of your best energies on sellers and specifically have to sell sellers? 
They're the ones that are going to get you paid. How much, you know, this is a fun question. Would you rather have, if you had a choice, um, 20 buyers, we're all, you know, seemingly good buyers, you know, but it's the best quality buyer you can possibly think of. You can, you know, tell me how great these buyers are, you know, all that. Or would you rather have 10 have to sell sellers? So you have a choice. 20, I'll even make it easier. 30 buyers, and they're all approved, they're all motivated, they're all looking when you say look, they're all jumping when you say jump, none of them have houses to sell, all of them are on month-to-month leases, your best case scenarios, oh, how about this, they're even all cash, okay? Would you rather have 30 buyers like that, or would you rather have 10 absolutely positively must-sell sellers? If you had a choice, you had to choose one or the other, which would you choose? Not a single agent listening to me right now would choose the buyers. Why? Because you intuitively know that must sell, you know, have to sell sellers are the way to go. And yet, some of you still beat your head against the wall, especially this time of year, working with these buyers. Now you're dealing in many markets where there's a lack of inventory. And you're frustrated because you, your buyers keep on getting outbid. Or you're frustrating because your buyers, you know, are, they, how many of you are dealing with buyers that go hot and cold on their motivation? Isn't that fun, right? You know, you work with somebody who's all hot and heavy for a week or two, and all of a sudden they go dark on you. They stop returning yeah, well, your texts. They stop. Don't forget the, the little morsel that most agents do not even use a buyer agency contract, which means that even if you give them all of your time and show them 100 houses, they still can go by with their best friend. They were just using you to show, and because you didn't use a prequalification script, it's not their fault. It's your fault. So, well, yeah, if you have to choose between buyers and listings, I go with the signed contract. Exactly. Julie's, the point that Julie's making is the nice thing about a seller is you do have a listing contract signed. Even if you are using our prescribed easy exit listing as part of your pre-listing pack, you still have a legal obligation from that seller that, you know, yeah, you can have a buyer's agency contract signed, but still at the end of the day, it's not as good as having a listing. And here's the other thing. When you work with a buyer, aside from the occasional referral you'll get from the buyer, there's pretty low chance, maybe 30% of a chance that you'll get another transaction as a direct result of having that buyer, right? I mean, it's not like the buyer is going to automatically become a great source of leads for you. A listing will, you know, here's the thought. One listing, and we share with this the fact with you guys frequently because we're doing our best to get you guys convinced that being a listing agent is the only way to go, you know, or the primary focus of all your businesses should always be on listings. So, if you have a listing, it almost always equals three transactions. Why, Julie? Well, because hopefully you're going to sell it yourself. Maybe, maybe not. You're definitely going to sell the listing. Every listing that you actually work the way we teach you to work it should give you at least another listing in the neighborhood or near the neighborhood and a very minimum of one more buyer, probably multiple buyers. I mean, I've got an agent in Detroit right now, Tim. She's got a, a we call it her wayward listing because it's up on a hill on a corner, not the, like the worst location in the neighborhood. But the best thing is it's the best location for her sign and her, you know, her home brochure box and her 800 number. She has, in the time that it's taken to sell this, because it's not the easiest thing to sell, motivated seller, but difficult location, and not to mention, you know, two or three feet of snow. So she's sold eight buyers off of that listing in the time she's had it listed, which still hasn't even been that long. So that the three deals coming off of each listing, that's kind of a minimum standard. Some listings will give you far more than that. 
Julie, can you give examples? I know you and I have had this conversation. This is one of those things. There's like certain things that when you present to agents and you present the information like we just did, it's all of a sudden the clouds clear. And you know, the other thing we always talk about is lead follow-up. I mean, that's another thing that every agent is accused of. You know, there's not a single person listening right now, well, maybe one or two, that are really exceptional at lead follow-up. For the most part, lead follow-up is always an area that you can – it's easiest to improve and it gets you the biggest bang for your buck. Well, this is another one, knowing the difference between a have-to-sell and a want-to-sell seller and accepting the fact that there's no such thing as a truly motivated buyer. Once you accept that and stop fighting with that and then realize that your future in this business is about being a listing agent, everything starts to change. Things start to get easier and better. Julie, can you give real-life coaching examples of um, you know, where you're coaching clients, kind of like the before and after, once they have the epiphany about the uh, have-to-sell versus want-to-sell sellers? Well, it's interesting, Tim, because there's actually a pretty tight relationship between their actual lead generation improving at the same time their ability to pre-qualify for have to versus want to because sometimes agents don't use pre-qualification scripts figuring out have to versus want to because they kind of have a sixth sense that perhaps they're going to find out they're dealing with a lot of have to leads which is part of the reason that they're still just leads because they don't have to do anything. And that causes them to come to terms with the fact that probably they need to be doing more marketing and lead generation and prospecting. So Mm. ask yourself what that relationship is, right? So typically when you go through, a lot of you guys have endless amounts of what you're calling seller leads, whether they're internet leads, open house leads, prospecting leads, what have you. But when you actually ask them questions like, I'm curious, is keeping the home an option for you? Because if you're not sure if they're a have to or a want to, ask them that question, is keeping the home an option for you? And even if they say maybe it will be a rental instead of selling it, talk to them about the rental numbers. Have they actually looked at that? Do they know if they can break even or not? It's different if they've got the house paid off versus if they've got a $5,000 mortgage that they're trying to cover with only 3500 in rent. So make sure you dig deep enough to know what you're talking about. So then the next thing that typically happens to them is then they figure out, well, what I'm calling all these listing leads, really I don't have any have-to-sell sellers, or I have very few. Mm. So the first thing happens is they close the ones who actually have to sell, which curiously are easier to close since they're already motivated, and get those out of the way. So those are in my listing inventory now. I'll probably sell those right away. Be done with it. And then they realize, well, I don't really have any other have-to-sell sellers, which is now putting pressure on my prospecting, marketing, and lead follow-up. And when I use my pre-qualification scripts, I'm probably going to have to generate at a higher level than I'm used to if I want to work mostly have-to-sell sellers. So ideally, you're going to have 10 out of 10 listings are have-to-sell sellers, realistically, it's going to be more like 9 out of 10 with one of them being kind of questionable. But to get to that level, you're going to have to generate more. So when you generate, here's my favorite saying, when you Mm -hmm. generate lots of opportunity, you don't have to tolerate the unmotivated because it's the unmotivated who drive you crazy. Well, Julie, here's another little interesting thought with all of this. You know, the most professional motivated sellers are going to be the ones that are going to be the most receptive to a professional listing presentation, a pre-listing yeah. pack, the whole nine yards. The sellers that are the most casual, the most, the least motivated, you know, the, in other words, basically the ones that will just, ah, I'll list it, I won't. Those are the ones you almost always want to try to avoid. In other words, to get the best sellers, you're going to have to learn how to compete. 
You know, that's really uh, the bottom line. You get, that's there. Now you're at the heart of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you start pre-qualifying sellers and you really decide to focus in on the sellers that are most motivated, at the same time, you're having to realize that, yes, that means I'm actually going to have to start learning how to be a professional. I mean, I'm not calling you guys non-professionals, but I'm just saying there's a different level to the way you maybe are operating now and the way you could be if you chose to be. The pre-listing pack, the listing presentation, having an organized approach, doing the things as a professional would – Guys, you know, there's a whole different level that the true top producers in this uh, industry that they know that they do that you probably don't that you could if you're just to take the time to learn it. And that's really the greatest challenge all of you guys are going to have is wrapping your minds around the fact that, you know, the whole idea of uh, learning and improving and really deciding that this is going to be something that I'm going to, you know, take responsibility for. We're doing 90-day plans with a lot of our uh, top-producing agents. They're having fantastic first quarters, going to have the best years of their lives. I mean, I have a number of coaching clients that are making $100,000, $200,000, dollars this month alone, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, you know month, what the number one topic said, is? I think. You said this month. In March. You? Did I catch yeah, that? Yeah, this month. Yeah. Right, exactly. Awesome. And so the topic of the coaching calls uh, is what am I going to master in the next 90 days? What am I going to absolutely positively be an expert at in the next 90 days? And you know what? Those are absolutely fun conversations to have with folks. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the first one for all of you guys. Wrap your minds around the fact that if you want to be successful in this business long term, you have to be, A, a listing agent, and B, you have to really know the difference between a have-to and a want-to seller. So your homework from today's radio show is to share this radio show with as many other agents as you possibly can. I always love that when you do. And if you need any help, please request a coaching call, free coaching calls for agents.com, free coaching calls for agents.com. It is our pleasure to help all of you in any way that we can. Please never be afraid to ask free coaching calls for agents.com. Have a fantastic day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.